This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. And welcome back in to another edition of Odyssey's 5th Avenue Faceoff, a Pittsburgh hockey podcast where we talk pens and look back on what went down against the Columbus Blue Jackets ahead to the rest of this big homestand. A lot to dig into. Of course, you know, follow the podcast on your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, and be sure to get new episodes as soon as they're ready or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're in there subscribing, downloading the latest episodes, be sure to leave a rating and a review as well. We appreciate it as always. A little bit later, we'll talk to Stefan Rossner of NYI Hockey Now covers the Islanders. Uh, We'll talk to Jesse Marshall of The Athletic, catch up with him. But as we do a couple times a week, we bring in our guy Tango, Eric Tangrady. Uh, Man, I don't know what to make of this team anymore other than they play a whole hell of a lot better when they get a good swift kick in the ass. And that's what the first, what, 30 minutes was last night? A good swift kick in the rear end against Columbus. Down four nothing at one point. Of course, it's Jason Zucker who comes in with the with the espresso shot, right? Who gives him the energy, gives him the kick, and then the third period is just, I, I, it's, it's what we've seen the Penguins do how many times during the Crosby, Malkin, Latang era, uh, just an onslaught on somebody. But the frustrating part for someone like me, or I think a lot of fans, uh, is. Man, did you have to get down four nothing to the worst team in the league first before you decided to turn it on? Yeah, you can get away with that stuff uh, against Columbus, right? You, you the belief, but um, again, building for playoffs, can you get behind two, even two nothing, three nothing against a, uh, a looking at probably a one or a two seed on either side? Um, that's the scary part. So, I mean, you have to look at it like that. You know, it's exciting that this team does have the type of power, fire power to get back in any game. But at the same time, it's not truly the recipe for success. So there are certain nights, kind of how Sullivan summed up his press conference. It's like we, we just did what we had to do to get the result. Um, sure, it was ugly. Sure, at times it, it was not the, the proper way that they want to play moving forward. But two points, you need to move on. And hopefully it's just that, that, that perfect lesson of sometimes you can win a game and feel like crap. And that's kind of what this team needs to get moving forward. Like it would have been all hell breaking loose if they would have lost that game. Um, you know, if they go down four nothing and they just have a lifeless two periods, I think the discussion we're having is a whole lot different. We're probably talking about <laughs> taking taking people off the out of, out of the, the press box, taking people out, off the bench. Like that's the kind of crazy discussion we would be having. And, and now it's okay, learn the lesson, two points. Let's see if we can push forward here. What do you do as a coach? And look, you're coaching at a lower level, but you're still coaching people. You're still coaching guys who you expect, even at the high school level, to go out and give you full effort, bang, right from the go. And for those who are just jumping in midstream, 
Eric Tangrady, former Penguin. He coaches at Shadyside Academy now. So when you got get guys out there and they come out flat and they feel like they can just kind of get away with a listless effort and turn it on whenever they feel like it. I mean, I'm sure each guy is different. Some guys, you got to dig into them a little bit. Some guys, you got to lavish them with praise and turn their ego up in order for them to turn it on. Uh, but what's what do you do from a team aspect? I mean, Mike Sullivan did everything he could. He calls a timeout. He changes goaltenders and eventually it got his guys attention or maybe they just decided to wake up on their own. But how many, how many levers can you pull? How many stops are there before you just say, guys, I I can't make you care tonight. Yeah. I mean, to me, after that first period, that's like something, something had to have got broken in that locker room. I mean, I don't Mm -hmm. know what the message you can give. Um, You know, we take a step back at the high school level, like I can't be breaking sticks in the locker room and and going crazy. But when we look at the pro perspective, like for me, I'm always preaching like top guys, bottom guys. Like I want our first five shifts to be like the most simplistic energy type hockey shifts. And I think that's got to be the message for everybody in that group. Like, let's just play a simple playoff type hockey game for the first five minutes. And then like, then we'll start, the game will start to open up and then we'll start to impose our will. But no, after that first, like I I would assume there, hopefully there's a TV broken or something in that locker room (laughs) because that was just like unacceptable. And I think um, there are certain times in a game where you you can't just go in and start screaming at guys in the professional level every single period, multiple times in a a year, but we'll tune it out. Right. Yeah. I think that's the type of type of game type of start type of opponent where, you know, message needs to be so loud and so clear that that's not all right. And it looks like they they more than likely responded to that message. When you're watching that team last night kind of go through the motions through the first, like I said, 20, 25 minutes, um, is it what precipitates that? Do you think it's the fact that this is a veteran laden team, oldest team in the league? We've mentioned that a lot that knows they can sometimes get away with just turning it on. Is it they've been through so many battles that even when they're down two nothing, three nothing, they're thinking to themselves, ah, we've been here before, we'll be fine. Or is it is it something else? Is it something physical? When you watch those guys start the way they did last night, which they've done several I we've lost count of how many times this year they've started like that now. Um, what's it look like to you? Looks like just mental fatigue. It looks mm-hmm. like uh, a top six who is slightly overworked, who's probably, you know, not to say that any of those guys can't handle pressure, but I mean, mentally through the course of a year, like you, you get, especially this time, like this is the, the mental fatigue, like guys are exhausted. Like this is where it, it gets really, really hard and, and still the National Hockey League, like nobody's good enough to just show up, um, you know. Sometimes teams can get away with having a lot of power plays and just executing on the power play because they have so much high-end skill. But to me, I think it's just a mental fatigue part where that top six just needs spark. They need something, you know. Um, They go into those games. You can see frustration early on, which to me, like, kind of signifies there's a lot lot of fatigue going on. And that's what I was telling you on – saying on Monday about I want to see that fourth line get to that 10-plus-minute threshold. Like, I look – um, Benino, I looked uh, a couple other guys, like just right under, right around eight. Uh, I would like to see that third line get up to 15 and then their minutes were down to, obviously when you go behind in games, you don't have that option, but, um, I, I can just see that the fatigue is starting to wear on these guys and have playing so many big minutes and so many big games. Is there a way to, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, refresh that in guys down the stretch now, knowing there's this much 
high impact. And I mean, both mentally and emotionally, as well as physically high impact hockey left down the stretch here. Every single game means that much more. Every shift seemingly means that much more. Is there a way you can keep guys fresh down the stretch when you're in a, in, in a position where you do need every point in the standings, or do guys just have to, for lack of a better way to put it, suck it up, pull themselves up by the bootstraps and, and, and bring it every single shift, whether they feel like it or not. Yeah. The only thing you can manage is practice. I mean, again, results oriented business, like every game's a playoff game right now in Pittsburgh. Um, I would anticipate these practices to be 30 minutes tops, not a lot of stop and starting. Like regardless if they would have lost that game for nothing, like you're not in the bag state mode of a season for a team. Uh, I think with all the sports science and all the nutrition and all that stuff, like, I would anticipate all those top minute guys to be practicing minimally down the stretch because you, you just got to know that there's not a way to do it in the game because uh, they're all focused on playoffs and you can see they all want it. I mean, it's just a matter of like mental breakdown, mental errors in a given shift to seem like they just end up in the back of the net every time this year. And I've been on teams like that and it's a, it's a nasty feeling, but you just have to kind of find a way to stay sharp and persevere through that kind of stuff. I don't know if you've done this, but because you're better about watching the game as a whole than, than I am. I watch it much more as a fan, even if I know some of the little intricacies here and there. You're watching all of the details. There have been, I don't know, especially in the last few weeks, at least a handful of times I've just gone, thank God for Jason Zucker. This guy, I mean, he is instant energy when he hits the ice. And seemingly every time this team has their back up against the wall in the midst of a game, he's the guy who punches their way out of the corner. Yeah, I mean, he, he's unsung hero. I mean, obviously what he was capable of, uh, you know, outside of the injuries coming into Pittsburgh, like everybody knew he had that type of firepower with his shot and, 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 and the ability to like kind of make plays. But this has been this has been awesome to watch. I mean, he is the unsung hero of the Pittsburgh Penguins this year. He's just finding ways to just it seemed like just run through a brick wall to to, to create a spark. And um, I hope that can kind of push a lot of opinions forward from well, it seemed like they were trying to just move that number off the cap for a couple of years. And now it's looking like, man, this is a guy you need to have in this locker room for the future. Um, so it's been, it's been awesome to see him create that spark. And um, I think that's exactly what this team needs is somebody who can create that outside spark and obviously meshing with Gino. Um, that's not easy either, finding types of wingers to mesh with the, those two centermen. I think he's done a great job. I mean, great time to have a contract year. <laughs> Whether it ends up with with uh, an extension or, or, or a new deal here in Pittsburgh or somewhere else, it's going to pay off for Jason Zucker. All right, um, Tristan Jari, we've been watching him since he came back, and the numbers haven't been that impressive. Like, safe percentage right around 880, 890, I want to say it is. Goals against average is up around four. Um, they didn't help him a lot last night. I get it. But eight saves on 12 shots. He gets lifted. Probably as much because Mike Sullivan, again, wanted to get the guy's attention as anything else. But where are we with Jari now? Because we're supposed to believe that the Penguins' best chance in the playoffs is with him playing at his best because, well, we haven't seen that the last couple of years, and it's been the death of him in the playoffs. Um so do we still trust in Tristan Jari to be that guy that they need if they're really going to get through a, a round of the playoffs? Yeah, coming off of injury, it's kind of we're more in like the sample size part of things. 
I think with the way the schedule's coming up, I, I think they're just going to have to ride the hot hand. Like, you know, they're, with all these back-to-backs, they're both going to mm-hmm. have to play. And I think we're all waiting to see, like, who's just going to grab it and run. Most good teams have a 1A and 1B. Um, you know, every successful Penguins team in the past has had that 1A, 1B, and then they ride somebody hot going into the playoffs. So it's hard to say, like, do we trust one guy at this point? It's still like a sample size where no one's really grabbed the bull by the horns, and I think time's going to tell because they're both, because of the schedule, are going to have to play. Did you ever feel yourself playing differently in front of one goaltender versus another? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. I mean, I, I think I've been on teams where, you know, you have, like we talked about, like the back-to-backs. So on Friday, you get your guy, you put together a solid effort, and then, you know, you have somebody else coming in and you just know, like, we, we got to make sure we defend first. Um, at the same time, like, you, you know, these guys are in the best league in the world and what they're capable of, but I, I would be naive to say, like, no, we didn't feel a certain way with certain goalies. Absolutely. When you have, um, and I'm not saying this is a situation in Pittsburgh, but if you have a backup who doesn't have a, hasn't had a positive track record of getting into these games, like you just knew the game had to get simpler, you know, maybe instead of trying to make a cross ice feed through the, the defensive zone, like it's chip it off the wall and, and play a simple type, uh, type of hockey game because of who's, who you have back there. What would you do with the rotation this weekend? Philly on Saturday, Rangers on Sunday. My first thought is go to Smith against the Flyers, Jari against the Rangers. Is that where you would track also? Honestly, I'm I'm probably the opposite. I think okay. every game is the most important. The Philly game is the game you have to win. You can't just assume mm. you're going to win it. Um, now, again, Jari coming off that in the game, and, and maybe the Smith is the one you feel more confident in, but – I think you're in the position of whoever gives you the best chance to win that day has got to play that game because you don't want to pull a, a you know a Columbus against Philly and think oh just having the guy we're trying to get going in net is going to just help us because the team's not as good like no you got to take care of business on Friday and deal with Saturday or deal with the next game when the next game is there so I think whoever they feel gives them the best chance to win against the Flyers has to play and if that guy gives you the best chance to play in the back-to-back, you got to ride him again. But again, it's tough for goaltenders in this league to play back-to-backs. We saw that with the Smith on that West Coast trip as well. I asked Aaron Portsline about the Jackets-Penguins rivalry the other day, which never really got off the ground. Like it did for a series, it felt like. But that's five or six years in the rearview mirror now, and it's kind of fizzled out a little bit. It should be a rivalry, you know, proximity and everything, much like the Pens and the Flyers are a rivalry, seemingly whether both teams are up, both teams down, one or the other. You're one of those people who has that unique uh, that unique perspective of growing up out there and having the Philly perspective perspective on the rivalry and then coming to Pittsburgh and now getting the Western PA perspective on the rivalry. So when you look at it, does Penn's, the, the Pens-Flyers rivalry still have the same juice? I don't think it does. I, I think it's it's funny how you mentioned these rivalries. Like, I don't really think about like Columbus Pittsburgh. I think about Dubinsky Crosby. Right. Oh, like, good that call. to me is like that's the rivalry. And yeah. like, once he left, it just felt like there was kind of like this. I don't know. They're kind of comparing apples to oranges. Now, Crosby Pittsburgh goes into Philly. I think they treat that game like Game Seven. The Flyers come into Pittsburgh. I don't know. I think the Pittsburgh fans kind of think we're. We're way above the, the the Philly fans, and sure, there's a little bit of that rivalry and that tension, but nothing really compares to the Penguins going to Philly versus right. the Flyers 
coming into Pittsburgh. Now, when the Flyers are in a playoff spot, I think that changes the whole dynamic in Pittsburgh. But again, I just I, I think that fan bases have gotten so Crosby fixated that Crosby going to Philly, like they're going to sell out that stadium just to boo him the entire game, not right. whatever the result is in that game. But once once the Jerus and the you know the even the the Carters and the Richards and all those big big strong top line players in Philly kind of left and they in these transition years I felt like the, the rivalry even in Philly has fizzled a little bit before I let you run two with tango you mentioned something had to get broken in that locker room after the first period against the Blue Jackets I can't imagine some of the stuff you've seen whether it be in juniors and the AHL hell maybe even over in Kazakhstan or wherever it was when you played in the KHL for a little bit what's the wildest coach freak out you've ever seen yeah, I mean, I, I, I've seen a, a full baseball swing through a television uh, in the locker room. Um, that was up in Winnipeg, and um, that was in the, the, the stages of where the, the, the base was there for us to be successful. Right. And they, as players, we just weren't responding to the coach, and the coach was kind of on his way out. And um, he came in, and he baseball took a swing to the, to the television, and it was <laughs> – I, you, you, when you say you couldn't hear a pin drop, like it was worse than that. Like you could literally hear, like Breath. you could hear everything. It, <laughs> yeah. was, it was wild. But yeah, I'll never forget that moment. Like you, you've been used to coaches coming in, screaming, yelling, singling out players. But to literally go to a player and grab the stick out of his hand and baseball swing it through a 75-inch television, <laughs> that, was pretty, that was pretty insane. That's a bad period of work, whatever happened right before that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Eric, thanks as always for the time. We'll catch up with you again next week. We'll have a lot more to dig into as we'll be in the thick of uh, what we should probably just call around here Rangers week, right? It'll be three in seven days between the Pens and the Rangers. They'll go a long way to deciding uh, what positioning looks like at the end of the year in the Metro and what the playoff matchups look like, hopefully, if you're a Penguins fan. So thanks again for the time today, man. We'll catch up again soon. Always fun. Thanks, Chris. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah, we'll be deep into the heart of what we'll just call around here Rangers week. Uh, when we get Eric back into the fold early next week, uh, got to get through what's an interesting weekend first, which ends with the Rangers, has the Flyers involved, as we were talking about there for a couple of minutes, but also, well, the Islanders. That's why in a couple minutes from NYI Hockey Now, Stefan Rossner will join us. But first... We bring him back for a return engagement. One of our first guests on Fifth Avenue Faceoff, the great Jesse Marshall of The Athletic. He joins me next on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back in. The Pens somehow survived the Blue Jackets. Somehow. We'll see if they can put up more of a fight, at least at the start of things, against the Islanders on Thursday night. And then a big Metro Division weekend at home with the Flyers and the Rangers visiting. Back for a return visit on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. It's our friend Jesse Marshall. Hi, Jesse. I'm doing that obnoxious wave thing like you're on a boat about ready to go out to sea and they just smash the bottle against the side. I have a handkerchief. I'm going to wave like this in just a second. Sorry, I'm trying to encourage people to go to the YouTube feed of the show. Yeah, I, it's working, I think. Yeah, it's a great job so far. Okay, good. I'll keep up the visuals then while you provide the actual intelligent hockey talk. Um, <laughs> let's start with, what before we complain, and I'm going to complain, um, 
what is actually working for this team? Like, what did we see in that that third period comeback that gives you hope? Okay, the the seeds of good, responsible playoff style hockey are in there. They just need to be given a little bit of light and a little bit of water so they can uh, germinate and start to grow. Um, I'm going to go in a different direction. So okay. I don't know that I see a lot of the signs. Of, oh no, this is not starting well. There. But, but I think what you did learn last night is like the top six is really good, man. Like it's really good. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we've been saying all year, right? Is like, this is a, a top six that's capable of probably dragging this team uh, either into a position it shouldn't be in or further than it should go. Um, just based on the personality of that group. I learned that last night that my belief in that is completely solidified. I, I think that at the end of the day, Chris, like they did tighten it up, right? Like they get, right. they, they'd get down to their principles, but you saw how quickly they can transition the puck. I mean, at the end of the day, there's only really a handful of teams in the league that can do it better than them when they're on. Uh, the problem is just getting them to that point consistently and getting yeah. it for a full 60 minute effort, especially uh, seems to be a little bit more difficult than not in more recent days. But again, like I, I'm still, the jury's still out on this new bottom six, right? We don't, we haven't seen enough hockey from them yet to make any kind of reliable determination on what's going on, but it's encouraging to see this performance continue uh, from the players that the Penguins need it to continue from. So that's a good point with this top six. It feels like anything is possible, but I feel like it's a bodybuilder that skips leg day, right? Like he's got huge traps and he's, his 44 inch arms and he's just massive above the waist, but then these little toothpick legs. And so what, what do the, is the depth actually any better now that we've gotten beyond the deadline? Hextall brought in, I kind I, I, I like the Benino ad. I do. Um, I think he he's quality third, fourth line depth. I, you know, we can talk all we want about whether Granlund actually adds anything to this team or not. I think Kulikov could be a good second, third pairing left side of D, but it's tough when you're pulling POJ out of the lineup to get that when everybody's healthy. So um, let, let's start with, rather than focusing on on what Hextall brought in in the last, you know, three days before the deadline, we can get there, but let's make the starting point of this con- this part of the conversation. Is the depth any better than it was a week and a half ago? Yeah. So yes, I think it is, but I don't think they've changed tiers. They're in the same Mm. tier they were before They're Like there are like maybe a couple grains of rice better than they were previously. (laughs) And most of that, honestly, Chris is just Ron Hextall undoing decisions that he just made in the not so distant past, right? Like these are, you know, McGinn and Kapanen, we said it on the show the last time I was on here, they're providing negative value to the roster, right? Right. They weren't, they're making the penguins worse. So uh, that's a that's an improvement. I think that it's going to be difficult for Benino and Granlin to be worse than them. Um, probably impossible. So I, you know, so yes, but it's not. You know, he hasn't uh, changed the Penguins' trajectory, right? Like, if, let's say they're going to meet Boston in round run, Chris, round one. Do you think these moves put them over top of the no. Bruins? No, they'd even make moves that were better than the ones the Bruins made. Right, <laughs> <laughs> they're already a good team. So um, yeah, I mean, I think that. You know, addition by subtraction in some ways. I like the Benito ad probably the most. Uh, I don't really think a lot has changed with him over time. He's still a very good, Im- defensively impactful player, Chris, without sacrificing right. a lot of what you have to sacrifice with Teddy Bluger, uh, albeit he's older. Uh, so, you know, at the end of the day, um, uh, you know, Granlin aside, who you know I thought was kind of expensive and is on a, a bit of a, uh, a too high of a salary for me. I mean, I you know, he, I, I just wasn't enough. Well, and what struck me about it was that it 
you know, people were giving Ron Hextall credit for, I guess, admitting to mistakes when he wasn't really admitting them as much as he was trying to clean them up. Like my kids try to clean their room. They just grab everything and shove it under the bed and hope you don't notice it. And that's what these moves were, you know, putting Kapanen on waivers and getting lucky that the blues pick up his contract or uh, getting lucky that you were able to foist McGinn off on somebody. Those are not actually owning the mistakes. Those are just simply, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, trying to cover your ass. Um, and so that's where I, I'm still left saying, okay, I, I, I like that. I get to hear Harn Ryan sing go Benino, 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 but I don't know if it really, it doesn't make up for the mistakes that have been made over the last two, two and a half years. No. And I think that like, there's any number of names, Chris, that the penguins were linked to during this deadline that like came up like Radko Gudis is one, right. right? That came out after the deadline. Well, the penguins are really close on, right? That's terrifying. It is. It was <laughs> honestly, it's terrifying. And I think some of the deals that you heard of like potentially rumored deals are like things that the penguins were in on, um, were, were, you know, kind of like what you know where are we luke shen you know like is another mm-hmm. one that came up a lot so it's just you know I, I think it's good to see him make the moves he made to undo uh the, the those two roster decisions and kind of like you know sink the cost a little bit in some way and say like hey we know we need to make this move what i'm concerned about is what happens next you know like have we have we learned enough from the situation that there's a whole phil- a philosophical pivot that comes from this experience right. or are we kind of in line for more of the same and then now we're looking to clean up the same mistakes at the deadline next year well i'm glad you brought that up cuz that's where i wanted to go next july 1st 2023 what's ron hextall doing is he sitting at home in a rocking chair is he in his office getting ready to <laughs> sign more 32 year olds to $5 million a year deals. Is he trying to pry Radko Gudis out of someone's cold, dead hands? I mean, all those things, you're right. All those things that came up after the deadline make you wonder, has there been any great philosophical shift in the way he's going to try to build this roster? Or was it again, just someone with a putty knife and spackle throwing things at the wall? The fundamental problem with this team, Chris, that still exists now and it, it's going to exist in the months to come and into the summer is goaltending. I mean, that has yet to be addressed. Um, the, the cast of characters we're looking at right now is the same one that we were looking at last year when we were talking about at the deadline, the need to address goaltending. So we've carried that a full calendar year with us uh, into mm-hmm. a whole new season and a whole new trade deadline. Um, you know, I, I, it's a lot for me to say I'm comfortable committing to Tristan Jari. You know, goaltending is really weird. Sometimes it's voodoo. We talk about that all the time, Chris. It's nonsensical. Who knows what's going on out there? Um, the, the playoff ghost hasn't been exercised. It just hasn't, right? And maybe right. maybe that happens this year. If Tristan Jari beats the Bruins in five games and shuts them out three times, nobody cares anymore, right? Like that's a, right. So there's an unwritten book aspect to this. But if let's just say things stay on the current trajectory, Chris, and they get it bounced, bounced in round one and the goaltending is not particularly great, that's perhaps the greatest indictment of Ron Hextall of all, right? Is never addressing that backup situation. Like Dustin Tokarski, God bless him, not an answer, right? Not going to do it for you. Um, you're consistently putting Casey DeSmith in a position to start when you know on record history shows he's not a starter. Uh, you know, the whole thing is just in flux right now to me. And every goal, t- and the Penguins have great goaltending in the system. It's nowhere near ready. It just isn't. Yeah. It's not. It'll be a while. And uh, this I, to answer your question, that better be it. The answer better be goaltending because that's a really good way to flush the rest of this Crosby, Malkin, Latang window down the toilet is just to give them subpar and inadequate net minding. 
Well, would your answer be to to give? And again, I know this is highly variable and dependent on what we see in the last five weeks of the regular season and then that first round of the playoffs. But as it stands right now, would you feel comfortable giving Tristan Jari a multi-year deal, which we know he's probably going to be looking for? No, I wouldn't. I'd I'd, I'd, I'd be at one round, a one-year yeah. contract that's kind of fine, you know, friendly to him and the team, and it's a prove me deal. Um, you know. Give us what you got. Let's see it one more time. We need the consistency. We need you to be available. Um, and we need to avoid some of the mental errors that have plagued you at certain points well, in your career. Because he's good when he's in, Chris. You know, the regular yeah. season, he's good when he's in. And and for the most part, it's it's teetering towards the latter side this year. But he started out this year, I think, when he had his health about him um, and providing a lot of value above what a league average goaltender gives to a team. Um, you know. That's great. But I mean, at what point, you know, are you willing to commit resources on this team uh, in a multi-year fashion to a guy that is available as Tristan Jari has been uh, up to this point in his career? You got to be a little bit more, I think, discerning on how you spend your cap, uh, considering you're in a fact where you you almost couldn't dress a full roster last night because of your cap situation. You know, that's not going to get any better, right? You got to find a way around this. Well, and there's got to be a better contingency plan. All due respect to Casey DeSmith, but there's got to be a better contingency plan in place as well. And that doesn't even begin to address the questions uh, come this summer of how you keep Jason Zucker around if you'd like to, which I think you have to want to at this point, the way he's played. He's been like, uh, he's been like a five hour energy, energy drink for this team whenever they need a shot. Um, so yeah, no, there's a million questions and I, I don't know if, if Hextall is necessarily the guy, I mean, we'll see, they could get, they could lose in four games to Boston and, and Brian Burke decides to blow the whole thing up. Who knows? But, um, there's also a chance and I fear this, I, I saw it. We've been, people have been tweeting about it here this afternoon on, on Wednesday. Well, maybe they catch Carolina and maybe they do something in seven games and, before we know it, they're in a second round, and Ron Hextall's got job security somehow. And that's Ron Hextall overseeing this whole thing again for another season is just as scary as getting swept by Boston in four games, to be quite honest. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I jokingly go back to the anec- that story, the anecdote we had from when he first took over and FSG came in the building and asked him to provide that written plan, and he said he couldn't do it because it was all in his head. Well, I'd like to see that plan myself now. I think a little bit. I don't know. Uh, did it? What was the? <laughs> and I, you know, um, yeah. I I'll tell you this, man. I'm not as confident in Carolina either. I think that that four check is unfortunately kind of primed up to uh, put a real beating on the Penguins' bottom six. But you're right. I mean, um, I you kind of get that that like you're you're on a lazy river right now, right? The current is just mm-hmm. carrying us all along, uh, and we're not really sure who's steering the boat or what direction it's heading in. But I, I, more of that. Um, it's just not a time, Chris, to be indecisive, right? You, you made your decision when you re-signed Rust, Malkin, Latang. That that was that the time for indecisiveness is now over. There's right. nothing you're going to do with these picks that's going to impact this core group of players. So you either have to be okay with parting with them, or um, you know, I, I I think it's bizarre. To, final note, Chris, it's bizarre to, to take an out an aggregate look at the picks that he did send out and think like, man, just to assault more, and you could have had Jacob Chickren on this team. Yeah. You know, like a true bona fide number one. So I just I'm stuck in the same boat as yours. Like I don't know where we're headed here, and like what is the the goal and the overarching. There there seems to be a lot of lines in the sand that he's not willing to cross, and I don't know that this is a good situation for that. 
Yeah. Uh, if we're in a lazy river, I think Mikhail Granlund is the band-aid that floats by while you're trying to relax. And, and <laughs> a little piece of scab on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mikhail Granlund is, is a scab. He's way better than that. I don't care. I don't no, that was mean of us. Sorry, Mikhail. I'm sure you're listening. All right, Jesse, thanks so much for jumping on for a couple yeah. minutes. I'll catch up with you soon, okay? Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Jesse Marshall of The Athletic. He does a great job. And uh, coming up next, we look at the Islanders. Stefan Rossner, he's somewhere on the turnpike on his way to Pittsburgh to get ready for Penn's Isles on Thursday night from NYI Hockey. Now he covers the Islanders. He joins us next on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back in 5th Avenue Faceoff. Chris Mack of the Fan Morning Show Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan with you. Uh, be sure to download, uh, subscribe, and download inside your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is resourcefulness at its finest. Stefan Rossner of NYI Hockey Now covers the Islanders. He's currently in the passenger seat of a motor vehicle hurtling approximately 65 miles an hour down the Pennsylvania Turnpike headed towards Pittsburgh for Thursday night's Penn's Isles game. So we'll make do with what quality signal we can get from you, Stefan, while you are in the car. First of all, thanks for jumping on. How are you? Oh, my pleasure. I'm doing good. How are you? Great, great. Um, t- Tell me why the Islanders continue to be able to figure it out. And by figure it out, I mean make the most of their situation and continue to be that team that just chugs along and stays present right there. Forget on the periphery of the wild card race, right there pushing the Penguins for the first wild card still. Yeah, I think it starts with Lula Marillo. He goes in and gets Bo Horvat way before the deadline, gets really that whole trade thing going. And at first, you're adding Horvat. One, you need Barzal to have a line. And two, you're signing him long-term for the future to keep your you know, Stanley Cup window open. But it just so happens that Pajot goes down, Barzal goes down, and now Horvat becomes a playoff savior in, in a way. Uh, face-off guy, he's been unreal in that category. Penalty kill, power plays, really changed the power play. I think he's been on the power play, on the power play for seven of their eight power play goals since he's gotten here. So he's been huge. But also with Barzal out and Pajot out, Lambert's pretty much run three lines. They've kept it simple, north-south game. and like they've done under trots, they're wearing teams down until that third period, and then they're coming alive. They outscored opponents 15-1 to 1 in third periods over their last nine games. They're 5-1-1 one, and one without Barzal. So, yeah, they've kept it simple. The defense has been much tighter, and they have Sorokin and Ned, who's been uh, an animal, obviously, all year. But over over his last six games, he's or five games, he's 4-1-1, one, and one, under two goals against average. So he's been lights out. How do they continue to keep this team hungry? Like, we have a problem with the Penguins here in Pittsburgh where we're asking ourselves how they sleepwalk through the first 25 minutes against the Blue Jackets on Tuesday night, for example. The Islanders are... are, Look, the Penguins are the oldest team in the league, but the Islanders aren't a bunch of spring chickens either, right? Like, you've got guys on this team who've been through the battles. Parise, Martin's been through it. Palmieri, Sezikis, Anders Lee. All these guys have been through it, and they continue to look like guys who haven't, and I mean that in the best way possible. Yeah, uh, well, it's a veteran team, so that helps just like the, the Penguins. I feel like the Penguins are a team that once March hits, they, sign, they always find a way to turn it up and, and get into the playoffs. We'll see what happens this year. But 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing, too, is losing Barzal, which is really when this team picked it up. They were playing a little better before he got hurt, but it was a wake-up call that, okay, everyone on that team has to do those little things. And this is a team that's had success because they do the little things. And like I said, they're finding ways to, you know, they're not a fast team, so they can't play that fast game. If they play that fast game, they're going to lose. So what they've done, really, early on in games, they kind of sit back a little bit, let the other team get tired, and then in the third period where they've saved their energy, they're older guys, they find a way to just four-check card, bear down, and again, uh, Sezikis talked about it yesterday, just doing those little things at a, at, a, at a higher rate is how they're having success. I mean, yesterday even, early against Buffalo, they were, were being dominated shot-wise, but then after scoring a goal, they turned up the shots. They got the... Oh, and I think we lost Stefan. Again, the... The perils of driving across Pennsylvania with and probably sorry. this. Oh, we got him back. We got him back. Yeah. Uh, I was just explaining, Stefan, to people. Hey, look, the, the perils of driving across Pennsylvania yeah. with very little cell signal. But no, I, I, I think you were in the middle uh, and we got the gist of what is a team that always seems to find its depth, always seems to find its ability and and draws on. um you know, even when someone like Barzal goes out, right? Yeah. They actually, they use that as a positive. They spin it forward and say, okay, well, then this guy's going to step up. And it it's just strikes me that even after uh, the departure of Barry Trotz, it's something that has still been stamped on the psyche of this organization, that that's the way they're going to handle it. Yeah, and Lambert comes in and the whole thing was he wasn't going to be exactly like Trotz, more offensive base, but you're seeing with guys like high offense guys like a Barzal goes down, they kind of revert back to the Barry Trotz way, the way they really know it's it's in their DNA. And like yesterday too, depth is critical, especially when top guys go out. Last night, you had Fashing score, Sezikis score, Josh Bailey who's playing fourth line minute score. You know, it wasn't your high top six guys. These are role depth players that come through, and we know in the playoffs. I mean, that's that's as critical as power play goals and things like that. So this last stretch out now is is playoff hockey. It's do or die for the Islanders. So you're seeing those depth player score which is a positive sign because that's the only way this team's going to win games well and they win it with puck possession too um and I, yeah. I know you you noted i was checking out your latest mailbag they, they they're dominating in the face-off circle right now um if jg yeah. pajot gets back in the lineup that'll only be reinforced a great face-off guy as well so what what is the key then i guess as you're watching this team and maybe look you're you're looking for strengths not weaknesses but if you find a weakness please let the Penguins know because this is a team that I don't think wants to have to go into the corners or down below the goal line and battle the Islanders for puck possession. It's not something that at least mentally has been at the top of their game. They'd much rather, you know, and I'm sure you've noticed this, the Penguins would much rather have a nice pretty zone entry, stop up at the half wall, everybody gets set up, all right, it's like running a football play. Set, hut, yeah. and everybody moves. You know, I, it, that's taking it to an extreme. But um, how how do you break an, an Islanders, uh, especially when they've got the puck? How do you break that forecheck? Yeah, it's been tough, and not a lot of teams have figured it out. I think the biggest thing for the Penguins is they got to get to their game early because once the Islanders are able to settle in and play that structured hockey, keep players to the outside, that's when they wear the teams down. But I think if the Penguins, like you said, off the rush. That's probably the best way to beat this team, catch them in transition. You know, the Islanders, when they get in trouble, they, they make sloppy errant passes trying to break out of their own zone. And I think for the Penguins, who have a ton of talent, guys, they do have speed with a guy like Gensel. I mean, we've seen it recently with the Penguins getting leads and then blowing it is 
once the Penguins do get that lead, don't take the foot off the gas. And that's really what's hurt the Penguins as of late is in those comeback games the Islanders won. It was the Islanders just found a way to dominate the third periods and come back and find a way. And if the Penguins are able to get that that next goal, you know, those games are probably over. So I think the biggest thing is, you know, trying to read maybe the Islanders who have their head down. Some guys like Romanov have a tendency to keep their head down in the D zone, pick off that pass, you could score score right there. But I think the biggest thing for the Penguins is get that lead and, and just keep going. You know, if you give the Islanders a chance to breathe and collect themselves going into an intermission or after power play, that's when they've done their damage. What do you think the, the, I, I, I won't ask you to go all hockey viz on me. I won't ask you to be Michael <laughs> Blake McCurdy or something, but in your opinion, what are the percent, give a percent chance to this Islanders team making the playoffs. Cause if, if, if you ask me right now, I'd put it somewhere around 70, 75. I was going to say, yeah, 65, 70. They're in the driver's seat right now. I mean, you look at all the games in hand, and that's, again, I don't know how that's even possible, how it how has all worked out here. But, you know, games in hand only matter if those teams win. If the Islanders could keep winning, mm-hmm. which they've done, they put themselves in a great spot now. Again, to, every game is important. If the Islanders come out and play terrible against Pittsburgh and they lose to Washington, well, they're in, they're in trouble. But if they could find a way to beat Pittsburgh, get a point against Washington, just collecting points. But I think... Yeah, I think two weeks ago, you'd probably say, ah, oh, yeah, I'm not sure. It's probably 40, 35, 40% chance. But the fact that they've won, it seems like the Penguins have struggled. The, the Sabres have struggled. Those teams, Detroit's fallen off. You know, the Islanders have put themselves in a great spot just to keep collecting points. And right now, this is a team where the confidence is sky high. They know how important these games are. And like you said, Pajot should be coming back. Um, we're not sure if he traveled. Uh, to Pittsburgh. He did practice on Monday. That was his first practice back. But to get him back and be able to run four lines, because the Islanders right now, you know, they've been running three. So to get that four lines going, four checking hard face-offs, that puts them in an even better spot. So, yeah, I think if the Islanders definitely 65, 70% now, if they could finish their week with two wins against the Penguins and the Capitals before they go to the West Coast, they're in a pretty good spot. What's the confidence level of Islander fans on what they can do if they do get there? You know, I look back at the game a couple weekends ago where they gave up six to the Bruins. That's the Bruins, though. Everybody's lost to the Bruins. Um, so yeah. what's what's the feeling, especially when they're playing the right way, like we've talked about? Um, what's the feeling on how deep they can go? Yeah, you know, people want to count them out, but it seems like when they went back-to-back semifinals, everyone counted them out. And this is a team that just has to get to the dance and then dance. I mean, they play a playoff style hockey all year long and the biggest issue this year is they got away from that under Lambert they were trying to do a different thing that really this group is not meant to do they don't have the elite stars to play more offensive now they tried to do just a little uptake in offense but even then you saw the defense struggle so I think the honors go into the playoffs first off they have the goaltending matchup you need goaltending you know as much as Olmark if they went up to face the Bruins as much as Olmark's gonna win the Vesna and he's been lights out and scored a goal this year he's never played playoff hockey it's a brand new animal or teams like the devils who are, yes, they're speedy and they could run circles around most teams. They don't know what a grueling style of, you know, fate, uh, playoff hockey is. They've never experienced that. They remind me of the Rangers in the bubble where that's a young group that goes in and they honestly, they have to lose in order to learn how to win. So I think the honors have more than a chance than people are giving them credit for. Again, they've shown it. They've gone to semifinals when no one thought they could. So I think if you're an Islander fan and they do make it in, I wouldn't count them out. I know the, the league will probably count them out. ESPN loves to count them out, but if any team's ready and geared up for playoff style hockey, it's this Islanders team again, who's playing playoff style hockey right now at the most important time and getting results. Well, they've won three of their last four or five of their last seven. And the losses have both been one goal games. Uh, one, five, four last time 
uh, or excuse me, 4-2 last time they were in Pittsburgh, 5-4 the last time they faced each other on the island about a week previous to that. So we'll see how it goes Thursday night at PPG Paints Arena. Stefan, what's the, what's the one place you got to go to when you get to Pittsburgh? Promonte Bros, right? We got to oh, go to yes. one of those? Yeah. Yep, I, think yep. I don't think I've ever been to Pittsburgh. So, yeah. But I've uh, been to Pennsylvania, obviously. So, I think that's where we got to go. We're going to a nice Italian restaurant tonight. Forgot the name of it. But, uh, yeah, it should be a fun time. Nice. Enjoy your time. Uh, grab a Permanis on the way out of town. And we will catch up again soon. Uh, hopefully, for uh, the Penguins' sake, it's not in the playoffs. Because I don't know how well that may turn out for them. <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. Thanks again, Stefan. Appreciate it, man. Bye. Yep. Safe travels. Thanks again to Stefan Rossner. Great stuff from him on the road, on the PA Turnpike somewhere, and headed to Pittsburgh for Penn's Isles. And what is, look, every game during this five-game homestand is enormous, right? Like the ones against Columbus and Philly and Montreal, they're big because you're supposed to win them. You're supposed to get the two points each time, right? But the ones against the Islanders and the Rangers magnified even more because, a loss to the Islanders on home ice. Well, that's at least in my opinion, that starts to give up those games in hand, right? That, that if the games in hand, Stefan said it there, I've said it multiple times in the last few weeks, the games in hand are only as good as the ones that you win. Otherwise a game in hand means nothing. It's buckus. It's zero. It's zilch. It's not a, and you might as well not even have it. You lose to the Islanders on home ice. You lose to the Rangers on home ice. Those games in hand, they don't mean anything. So, Uh, A chance for the Penguins, perhaps, to prove that they learned something from the first two periods against Columbus and will be able to maybe spin something forward resembling positive momentum out of the third period against Columbus as well. Don't forget, inside your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast, you got to follow, you got to subscribe, you got to download, you got to listen, and of course, you got to rate and review. Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Thanks to Stefan Rosner. Thanks to Jesse Marshall of The Athletic, Eric Tangrady as well. On Friday, we will preview those games against the Flyers and the Rangers. Uh, We'll get somebody from Philly on the horn, maybe. We were going to get somebody from New York on the horn. I'll explain to you on Friday why they won't be joining us, but we'll look ahead to that and what will be a crazy week next week, right? We'll sort, sort of peek out onto the horizon a little bit to three games in seven days against the New York Rangers. All that on the way on Friday's edition of Fifth Avenue Faceoff.